You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. There are two leaders that are capturing the attention of the world right now. We know them well. They are Vladimir Putin of Russia and Vladimir Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine. Now, ironically, they both have the same first name. Uh, Vladimir is how you say it in Russian. Vladimir is how you say it in Ukrainian. Now, Putin has a tremendous amount of power, resources at his disposal. Zelensky has far less. Putin is, of course, advancing the war on the ground, but Zelensky is advancing the war in Ukraine in the hearts of his people and increasingly in the hearts of the people of the world. And he, Zelensky, is emerging as a good leader, worthy of following, while Putin continues to be a bad leader, worthy of only disgust and fear. Now, these recent events that have shocked us but have been true of all of world history follow the trajectory of what tends to happen in world history. World history often rises and falls on the quality of the leaders in power. Much of the Old Testament portion of the Bible is a record of the history of the nation of Israel from its founding uh, until about 2,000 years ago. And that was the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And Israel's history, like the history of the nations of the world, is a series of ups and downs with more downs than up. And in every case, if you want to answer the question, why is Israel doing better? Why is Israel doing worse? You can attach it directly to the leader that was in power. The reason was leadership. Now, we tend to think of leadership as kind of an irritating reality, something we, we have to put up with, but we really don't like. You know, if you want a paycheck, you're probably going to have to put up with a leader. You're probably going to have to work for somebody, uh, have a boss. If you're going to live in a nation, you're going to have to address and deal with politicians. You're going to have to deal with leadership. But in God's mind, leadership is not just an irritating part of life that occasionally interrupts the more noble themes of life. Leadership actually is a noble theme. We God intended to be a source of great good for us. Now, God has much to say in the pages of the Bible about leadership because he, of course, is a leader. And he's not just a leader. He is the leader. He is the king of all kings. And when sin entered into the world, it warped and twisted leadership, just like it does every other good thing that God has given us in this world. But the principles that God has established leadership on are still in place, even if they're not done often. And so today we're beginning a four-part series on how to grow as the kind of leader that God blesses. And I want to begin by giving a definition of leadership that we're going to use for this series. There's all kinds of definitions of leadership, but this is the definition that we're going to use for these four weeks. Leadership is the power to influence others for good. Leaders can influence for bad, but we're going to look at what it means to be a leader that influences others for good. And the reason this is our definition is because this is God's intent behind leadership. God has established leadership to be a blessing to be good to us. The first place that we all experience leadership is in the home. We have a mother, a father. They are an authority over us. And in the Ten Commandments, the middle commandment, commandment number five, is about this experience of leadership and our relationship to our parents. And it explains in this commandment God's intent not just behind the leadership in the home, but behind 
leadership in general, really. This is what the fifth commandment says, a retelling of it in Ephesians 6, verses 2 through 3. Here's the commandment, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So this, unlike the other commandments, this isn't just a statement of what we should do or shouldn't do. This is a statement of what we should do and then a reason why this commandment exists. And the reason is so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Our first experience of authority sets the table and sets the, the trajectory of our life for whether or not our life is going to be worse or better based on how we respond to the leadership and, honestly, the quality of leadership that we have. And this is because God gives leadership so that it might go well with us. But, of course, sin, as I said, has marred leadership, and now the world is full of a bunch of bad leaders. Good leadership is no longer automatic, no longer natural to us. The question we're addressing in this series is, how do you grow as the kind of leader that God blesses others through? Now, you may be thinking, well, I, I'm not a leader. I don't have a, a formal position of leadership, so this series isn't going to apply to me. But leadership, as we're defining it, and as God defines it, is available to everyone, and it's called on by everyone. We all have a chance to influence other people for good, whether that is through a formal position of leadership or an informal position of leadership. Now, good leadership flows out of the all-important but largely invisible quality known as character. We tend to focus a lot on leadership skills, and those are important, but what really tends to mark a leader over time is their character. That makes the biggest difference. Who a leader is on the inside will determine the kind of leader that people experience on the outside. And in that way, leadership is, is like an iceberg. 90% of what drives the kind of leader they are is invisible. It, it occurs below the visible waterline. People can't really see it. They feel its effects, but they, they can't see it. Now, influence is the part of the leadership iceberg that, that we all see, that we all experience. And over the next four weeks, we're going to consider the four components that God says are below the waterline that drive good leadership. Today, we're going to talk about the foundation. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the initiative component. Good leaders take initiative. They face the problems of this world, not with a, well, let's hope for the best approach, but let's do something about this. They're not passive. They take initiative. Then on the following Sunday, we're going to talk about the listening component. This is so important. Good leaders do not automatically make decisions. They don't jump to conclusions. They listen. They learn. They, they try to understand before they make decisions. That's the listening component. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the limiting component. Good leaders are limited leaders. They stick to their responsibilities. They limit themselves to their jurisdiction. They do not take responsibility and try to do more than God has assigned for them to do. They understand. They get clear. They're focused on what their assignment is, and they do that. But today, we're going to talk about the foundation. Proverbs 20, 28 speaks to the foundation of leadership. And here's what it says. Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. Now, when this verse was written, as with most, most of the verses in the Bible, the top leaders of the day were kings. Their thrones were gained or lost largely by the size of their army through power. And so their, their top concern was 
was power. That's how they got a throne. That's how they kept that throne secure, kept that throne safe, was through power. But what God is saying in this verse is that power is not the true foundation of long-term leadership. Power is not the key to securing a throne and keeping the one who sits on it safe. God says, no, that is love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness are more powerful than establishing a throne and keeping it safe. The message translation of this verse says it this way. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. Those two words are the foundation of leadership, loving integrity. We'll look at both of those this morning. Love is what moves a leader to live their life for something bigger than themselves. Love calls us out of our natural self-focused selfishness, our, our natural internal orientation. Without love, a leader will use whatever position they get for their own benefit and not for the benefit of those they lead. They will use the people they lead, not bless the people they lead. Integrity, the other part of this foundation, is truth embedded in a life. It is the internal compass set on what God says is right that guides the leader to do what is good. So the question then this morning is, how do we become people, leaders, of loving integrity? And the reason this is a challenge is because we are not born with these. These do not naturally grow inside of any person. In fact, we are born opposite. We are born selfish, not loving. We are born malleable. In other words, we are willing to bend and twist to whatever fits our needs rather than people of integrity who have a clear fix on what is right. So love and integrity is something that must be grown over time. And that's why in this series we're talking about how to grow as a leader, not how to be a leader, but how do we grow in our leadership? And like everything else in life, this kind of growth is often two steps forward, one step backward kind of progress. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 3 in the New Testament, we are given a description of the kind of leader that God blesses, a leader of loving integrity. It is addressed to the leaders of the church at the time. They were called elders. But its truth isn't limited to just the context of leading in a church environment. It really is about how leadership grows in every area of life, whether it's church whether it's in the home environment, whether it's in a school setting, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, this is how loving integrity grows in the heart of a leader and how influence grows for good. So here's what it says, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, leaders, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. These two verses identify the three paths on which loving integrity advances and grows. And these three paths are identified by the words not and but in these two verses. The words not mark the beginning of the path of growth. The words but marks where we're going, what the end goal, where this path is taking us. So here are the three paths. Not because you must, but because you are willing. That's path number one. Path number two, 
Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Path number three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. We grow as leaders, leaders of loving integrity, as we advance on these three paths. So let's look at these three paths. Path number one, good leaders grow from duty to desire. As it says, not because you're doing this, not because you must, not out of duty, but because you are willing, because you want to, out of desire. This gets at the loving side, the heart side of the loving integrity foundation. Good leaders are driven on the inside by a deep love for what is right. They look out on the world full of problems, and they cannot wait to do something about it. They must, they're compelled to take action, to do something about it. Bad leaders, on the other hand, care only about doing what will serve their own needs. They'll do what is right only under pressure, only if they're forced to do what is right. You see, duty acts because it has to. Desire acts because it wants to. Now, this is not a A or B option. This is not a, a switch that we flip, and suddenly we become people of the desire to do what is right. This is a path. And the path involves both duty and desire, but the end goal is we are doing what we're doing out of a sense of desire. We want to, not because we have to. But duty has a role to play in that. This past week, my wife and I celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary, and we've been married for 37 years because we want to be. There's a desire that drives our love for each other. But our marriage is like most marriages. There have been times where we didn't want to be. Moments where we'd had an argument and we said something hurtful and angry to each other. And in those moments, if you looked at the desire meter in our heart, it was pretty low. At that point, the reason we stayed married is not because the passion in our hearts was rising for each other, but it was because of the fact that we'd made a commitment. In those days, we stayed married because of our duty, our commitment to one another. Duty is kind of like the scaffolding that surrounds the desires of our heart and, and puts structure where it needs to be that helps us build the right kind of desire. It's, it's not enough in totality, but it's helpful at certain times and in certain ways to build the right kind of desire. Let me show you a picture of the scaffolding that was used to construct uh, our new kids' building. Some of you remember this stage when the scaffolding was up around this part of the kids' building. And the purpose of scaffolding is because it was necessary to get the workers in position to build that part of the building. And that's kind of the way duty works. It's like scaffolding. It puts you in position to build a desire for what is right. Now, why do we need scaffolding? Why do we need duty? It's because all of our hearts have been warped towards what is wrong. Our hearts have this bend in them that tends to drift towards sin, not what is right. In our minds, we want to do what is right, but our hearts keep drifting off course. And that's why we need the scaffolding. Scaffolding like structure of duty to train our hearts to want what is right. And without duty, our hearts will just drift towards what is wrong rather than towards what is right. 
In a sense, this is the main purpose of parenting, is to build structure around the life of our children, to build in their hearts a desire for what is good, for what is right. We all, as parents, want our kids to love telling the truth. We want them to want to ask for forgiveness when they do wrong. We want them to love hard work. But they, sadly, are not born with any of those desires. And if we just keep watching them and waiting for those desires to grow in their hearts, it's just not going to happen. Those desires, those good and right desires, have to be built into their hearts. And it often starts with have to, not want to. We tell the truth in our family, not because you want to tell the truth all the time, but because you have to tell the truth. And if you, don't, if you lie, there's going to be consequences. That's have to. And in our family, if you wrong someone, you had to ask for forgiveness. And in our family, if you made a mess of your room or some part of the house, you had to clean it up. We didn't wait for desire to well in your hearts to work really hard on your room. No, it, it was a requirement. And there were consequences if the requirement wasn't done. So that, that's scaffolding. That's duty. That's structure. Now, the goal was, as in all scaffolding, like now, we don't have scaffolding around the building now. That's not a building complete. That's just part of the project. The goal in parenting is that our children would grow up to be adults who want to do what is good, who love hard work, who will humble themselves and ask for forgiveness when they do something wrong. That's what we want. So the scaffolding isn't the end goal. That's just part of the process. But it started with the scaffolding of duty. We never outgrow, in some respects, a need for some duty. One of the dangerous ideas in our culture right now is that duty is a bad thing. We are told over and over again, just follow your heart. Most recently by the Olympians, who, trust me, had a lot of scaffolding that got them to the place that they were. But when they, when they get there, when they look at the completed building, they say, just follow your heart. And you know, it's, it's, it's not all wrong. They're partly right. If your heart never gets involved in what you're doing, you will never be a person of influence. If it's all duty, if it's all scaffolding, no one's going to look at your life and say, boy, I'd like some of that scaffolding too. You're never going to be a person of influence. But duty is the structure often required to grow and build the love for what is right. So if you want to grow as a leader, one of the questions that you should ask is, where do I need some scaffolding in my life? Where do I need a little more structure where my desires are a little off, they're warped or they're way off, and I need to put some structure in place in order to help building, build the desire for what is right? In my 20s, I noticed that the leaders that I really respected tended to have a pattern. They all had the same pattern. And the pattern was, if you asked them, or sometimes they would offer, they, they had a pattern of spending time, often at the beginning of the day, but every day they would spend time with God. And it was marked by some time reading the Bible and some time praying. And I noticed this in my 20s with all of the leaders I really respected and had an influence on me. So I decided, I want to start doing that. So I started building some structure around a time of daily reading God's word and prayer. And in those days, 
some of the days I really wanted to do it. But most of the days I really did not want to do that because I was tired or I had other things that I wanted to do. But I kept working on it. And slowly, gradually, almost imperceptibly, my desire to spend time with God every day grew. Now, in my 60s, the desire and have to is opposite. Most days, I really look forward to that time. Now, not every day, but most days. But if I hadn't stuck with the scaffolding, if I hadn't built the structure, if I hadn't allowed desire to grow in my heart, then that would have never happened. That would not be a part of my life. So that's growth path number one. Good leaders grow from duty to desire. Growth path number two, good leaders grow from getting to giving. Here's what it says. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. The reason you're a leader is because you want to serve people, not because of all that you'll get out of being a leader. So this speaks to the other side of the loving side of the loving integrity foundation. So two of these paths deal with the loving part. The last path deals with the integrity part. You see, not only do good leaders have a deep love for what is right, their influence flows out of the fact that they have a deep love for people. The love has two sides to it. They love to do what is right, and they love people. And out of that, influence comes. In physics, influence requires contact. The laws of physics say if one object is going to impact, influence another object, it needs to come in contact with that object. Now, there are a few exceptions to this in physics, but for the most part, influence requires proximity, closeness, contact. And it's the same with soul physics. In order for any of us to influence other people, we have to be close. The challenge is every person has a natural set of defenses around them for good reason. They're not quick to trust for good reason. And therefore, they don't let people influence them just randomly. So how do we get close enough to have influence on other people? It's by serving them. It's by loving them. Just think of the people who've had a big influence in your life. Most likely, they have been a real help to you. They have served you over time. Now, what gets in the way of us serving and loving other people? Our own greed, our own selfishness. Greed is the opposite of serving. It focuses on getting, not giving. Low-influence leaders tend to measure their success by what they are getting out of whatever they're doing, not by what they're contributing, not by what they're giving. That's what they're looking at is, what, what am I getting out of this? And when that becomes a focus, imperceptibly again, but substantially their influence begins to wane. Now, like duty and desire, this is not an either-or. This is a path, and that's because getting is not bad in and of itself. We all have needs. The problem is the greed. Greed expands our legitimate needs to a relentless and ongoing focus on more and more and more. And what tends to happen is after our basic needs are met, greed tends to consume our time, our focus, our heart, and we don't end up really loving people because we don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources 
to feed our greed and to love people. It's an either-or decision at that point. No one is ever influenced for good by how much we have, but by how much we give. This is a key truth that too few people are living. How can you tell where you're at on this part of the growth path? Whether you're still early on in the getting part primarily or whether you're moving towards more and more giving. Well, it says in this verse, the best indicator of your location is how you're handling your money. Money is one of the great truth clarifiers in life. It's kind of like the barometer of the heart. The barometer is what meteorologists use to measure the weather because it's one of the best indicators of what the weather forecast is going to be. And it's the same with our heart. Money just doesn't lie. Our best indicator of what's going on inside is what's happening with our resources, our finances. Our hearts are very complicated. But if all you want to know is whether your heart is oriented towards giving, whether you're becoming more and more generous or not, you just need to check how the money is going. Now, some of the money, of course, is going to have to be spent on your needs. But if there isn't a consistent, and here's the key, growing pattern of generosity, then the indicator is pointing to the getting side of the path, where the impact on others will be small to non-existent. So if you want to grow in your influence, in your leadership, work on growing in your generosity. Those are connected. Even if people have no idea how much you're giving, God knows. And he gives influence based on that. One suggestion on this is don't look at the amount that you're giving. Look at the percentage. That's the big indicator. That's what Scripture looks at, the percentage, not the amount. Now, Jesus was watching a widow come and give, and she put in a couple pennies. Nobody noticed that, but Jesus did because it was a 100% gift. It was everything she had. The percentage is what matters, not the amount. Just recently, or last year, I heard of a a celebrity that gave $60,000. It was an amazing gift. It was really nice. And the news reports just were going bonkers about the generosity of this celebrity who gave $60,000. Now, we had just come off of the giving uh, effort for this building, and I knew of a lot of people that had given a lot of money, this kind of money. And so I thought, I wonder how much this celebrity made that year. So this celebrity who gave $60,000 that year made $124 million. So don't get me wrong, $60,000 was nice. It's good. Generous? Nah. That's not generous. I know a lot of people are a lot more generous. But 60000 we all get wowed at, oh, my goodness, who gives $60,000? I, I know some people. And God knows. God sees. He sees the generosity. And influence flows out of that. Growth path number three. Good leaders grow from pushing to pulling. Here's what it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Lording basically is commanding, telling people what to do. Pulling is being an example, showing people by your own example what to do. So this gets to the integrity side of the loving integrity foundation. 
So again, integrity is truth embedded in a life. Integrity gives people a reason to trust a leader. And with trust comes influence. Because they're not just talking about it. They're doing it. They're setting the pace. Again, as I said, in physics, influence requires contact. There are a couple of exceptions. One exception is the law of gravity. Gravity is a pulling effect, not a pushing and contact effect. So the tides of the ocean rise and fall because of the moon. But the moon never touches the surface of the ocean. So what causes the ocean tides to rise and fall? All of that water. It's the mass of the moon and the gravity that comes from that mass that impacts the oceans and moves them at a great distance. That's the same kind of thing that occurs in soul physics. We are moved by the character, the mass, the weight, the significance of other people. The weight of their example challenges us and can move us. Lording it over someone is the attempt to push them, to push them into action, to use pressure to get them to do what we want them to do. Being example pulls people to want to do that, and therefore it has more impact. We're seeing this in the war in Ukraine right now. Everyone is stunned that Russia hasn't conquered Ukraine yet. Why is Russia struggling to win the war in Ukraine? Even though they massively outspend the Ukrainian army and massively outman the Ukrainian army and have much more technology than the Ukrainian army, by a wide margin, why can't they conquer? Why can't they have a victory in a few days like it was predicted? The reason is this. One leader is lording it over those under him, and the other leader is leading by example. That's why. Zelensky, we all remember this, when offered a life of exile in luxury, turned it down. I mean, this is the playbook. When your country is about to fall, a country like the U.S. says, hey, we'll put you in exile so that eventually maybe you can be reinstalled. It almost never happens. But it's a way for that leader to save their skin and to spend their life in luxury. That's what the offer was. But when he was given that offer, what he now famously said is, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That's the phrase that has captured his people and the world. He's not just telling people to love their country and defend it. He is doing it. What he says to do matches what he's doing. It matches his words. His personal sacrifice and his willingness to risk his life is pulling others to sacrifice and risk theirs. And it's stopping an army ten times the size of their army. That's the power of the kind of leadership that God has established in influence, in example. So low-influence leaders focus primarily on what other people should and shouldn't be doing. 
If you're a leader and you're just always angry and upset about what people under you are not doing and they should be doing this and why don't they do this and how am I going to do that, you are lining yourself up for low impact. High-influence leaders focus primarily on what they themselves should and shouldn't be doing. High-influence leaders say, if something's not going well, what, am I, what should I be doing? Where am I not setting the example? What's, what's wrong in what I'm doing? You're setting yourself up for high influence. Now, like duty and desire and getting and giving, this is not an either-or. Again, this is a path. This is movement. The reason I say that is because there are times when those who are in charge, you need to set direction. You know, someone comes in, if you have a formal position of leadership, someone comes in and says, so what are we supposed to do? You don't just sit there and glow your example and hope they can intuit what they're supposed to do. No, it's okay to say, well, hey, let's do this, or let's try that, or let's do, you know. So there are, it doesn't mean you don't ever set direction. It doesn't mean you don't ever tell people what to do. But what it means is over time, the power of your influence comes out of your example, not out of your words, because that's where the power is. That's where God has placed the power. So what's at stake with this leadership foundation? I mean, this is costly. Leaders who have influence, they pay a tremendous price to grow in each of these three paths. Why not just be selfish like we want to be anyways? Why not just do whatever we want to and focus on ourselves or reject the hard stuff and the long-haul approach and the humbling process of growing in leadership? Because it's humbling. In the next verse after these, we read this. And when the chief shepherd appears, this is Jesus, when he returns to wrap up history, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This is, this is really interesting. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the one who's made the largest impact on the world. He split our calendar in two. And when he returns to wrap up history, one of the top things he is going to be looking at and rewarding and acknowledging is leadership. That's fascinating. He's going to be handing out crowns of glory to those who have joined him in making an impact in this world. A crown is a symbol of great status and accomplishment. Every earthly crown will fade because every nation will fade. Every position will fade. But this crown, we are told, is never going to fade. Leadership is a noble calling offered to all of us. It is the power to influence other people for good. And Jesus is looking for that. And he will honor that when he returns. A couple of steps that I would recommend for you to consider in building your leadership. First is just ask yourself this week, what part of my life do I need a little more scaffolding in? Where do I need to add some structure to build the right kind of desire? Another question is, how can I grow in generosity? Where can I serve? How can I increase in even giving? And then I would encourage you to join us for this entire series. We're doing four weeks on this, one week down, three more to go. I would encourage you to join us as we consider all of these below-the-waterline elements that God has designed to increase our impact for good in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for telling us the truth, giving us the principles of how we can influence other people for good. We look out in our world and where we see a lot of influence for bad. 
We see a lot of pain. We see a lot of problems. And there's really too many for us to solve and even know how to solve. But for each of us, you have put us in a place and you've given us the chance to influence the people around us. Some of us have more formal, structured positions. Others do not. But in every case, we have a sphere of influence. So I pray that you would help us to, to grow in our leadership in that sphere of influence, that we would be a source of blessing to the people around us. We would really influence them in ways that bring good into their lives and not harm. We ask for help on this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.